Good morning. Welcome to Grace and Peace Church. I am Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor of this ramble. No, I'm joking. This is uh, God's church, and so we are happy that you're here, and it is a good thing. So we've been working through seven signs of Jesus and also seven now statements of Jesus that he says about himself, his self-disclosure. Who does he say about himself? He says that I am, and here we're talking about I am the bread of life. And he says these things so that you may believe and in believing have eternal life. And so that's where we are today. We are here looking at this text and this scene uh, with the intent that we would believe. And so, I remember this good German uh, psychologist named Ludwig Feuerbach, and he said, uh, you are what you eat, and nothing else. That's what you are. You're the sum of what you eat. Come together, you take it into yourself, and that's what you become, whatever you eat. And in a certain sense, I think that's true. But then uh, Michael Pollan, I don't know if you know who that is, who you can watch his documentaries, writes The Omnivore's Dilemma, and he says, it's true you are what you eat, but you're also whatever you eat, eats. And you're like, what in the world? Let me give you an illustration. Sometimes our food eats weird things. And so in 2008, I heard a story in the news about one of my favorite actors, Jeremy Piven of Entourage. The reason I like him is he's kind of squirrely and weird like I am, kind of twitchy. And so, so I like him. But it turns out that Jeremy Piven was on a steady diet of sushi. Okay. Apparently, he was eating sushi for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And at the time, he was eating probably two or three times a normal serving, to which when he went to his doctor, found out that he had mercury poisoning from all the sushi he was eating. So you are what you eat, and you are whatever you eat eats. And so we learned that you have to watch what you eat. You see, what Jeremy Piven was doing, he, was, he loved something, and he, was, he enjoyed it so much. That was giving him life, but it was killing him. And, you know, you're like, what in the world does this have to do with our text today? Well, what does it matter to us? It matters because if you're constantly consuming the story that you're only worthwhile while you are uh, the perfect wife or the perfect husband, the perfect student, the uh, most abled athlete, the best musician, or if you're very competent at home, mom and dad won't freak out, you're always consuming this belief that you control your world. You're always consuming and believing that, that you have to do these things. And the dangerous thing is, is that you become what you eat. You see, so we must watch what we're eating. Jesus, it matters because Jesus says he's the bread of life. It means that all those other things that fight for you to find your hunger in them, uh, they're not really going to satisfy that hunger, what you really want. It means that he's calling their bluff. He's saying those things are counterfeit. They can't satisfy you like I can. They can't bring you the lasting hope, the surpassing joy that only he can bring. In it, he's saying that the other things that you hope in are lesser lovers. They can't make your heart sing the way he can. 
can't make your heart sing. It can't give you life. It can't give you life. And Jesus counters all of them and says that he is the bread of life. Or maybe you could say he's the bread for life. He's the bread that makes up life. He's the bread that animates the world. He's what ought to fill our homes and our guts and and cause us to, to change. So look at the text. We see a bunch of people after they had uh, fed. So Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000 and plus, And then his disciples go across the water, run into rough seas, see Jesus walking on the water. Ah, what the heck? And so that happens. Um, and Jesus gets in the boat, calms the sea. And then they end up coming. Or they, the, the crowders like, wake up in the morning. And they're like, hey, do you guys remember getting bread and fish yesterday? Yes, we did. Where'd that come from? Jesus. And so they decide, do you know what we're going to do? It's breakfast. Panera isn't open yet. Let's go op- over there to the other side where Jesus is. And so they march over there and they're like, feed us. Feed us. And Jesus is like, ha, all right. You want this? Check it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something funny here. And so he, he, he goes and gives them basically a dialogue. I don't know if you're hungry and someone gives you a dialogue. You're like, where's my Egg McMuffin is usually what I would say. But Jesus goes and gives them this dialogue and tells them uh, what you really need is the bread of life. You know, just like in the desert, how you guys are, uh, just like in the desert, you guys are in the, a deserted place, you're looking for food, it reminds me a lot of Exodus, and get this, get this, God provided food, but then there were still a bunch of grumblers, like, we want meat, God takes them from, from, from slavery out of Egypt, and then they're like sitting in the desert, and, and uh, those people in Exodus, they were all like, you brought us out here to die. Come on, man, you were in slavery back there. You see, and then they start grumbling. So that's the scene. And you got these people who are like, uh, they, they ask him, here's a good one. It says, uh, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They're like, whoa, we could have the bread of heaven forever? Like we can have it, like we can always have stores of food forever. You will always feed us. And then he comes and they say this, Sir, give us this bread always. We want that bread. You know, we're, we're tired of going to the bakery. We want that bread. My elbows get tired from kneading. I want that bread. And Jesus is like, I don't think you get it. Okay? And so he will go on later to scandalize them and mess with them a little further by saying that the bread is his flesh. And that those who believe in him will have life. Real, abundant, eternal life. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So what does it mean for them then and for us now? It means that Jesus was the food of salvation for them. He was the bread just like the manna from heaven that fed them in the desert so that they can get to the promised land. It meant that he could feed them. It means for us that he's the food that gives energy for life, that will allow us to get through our hopeless conditions, our sad estates, our depression. He's the food that can help us get through when our loved ones are facing it, having a hard time. 
You know, he says that Jesus says that he's the bread that came down from heaven. You know, these people are facing starvation. They receive the bread. And Jesus says that, oh, oh, he is that bread. He's the bread that you really need when you're starving. He's the rescue from certain death. He's the bread that saves. Here in this case, they're in a the wilderness. They need bread to survive. Uh, probably, I guess, just the morning. It looks like, you know, they wake up, they want bread. And they're like, let's go to that Jesus guy. And so he says, you have a deeper hunger. You need bread that will give you real life. And Jesus is the bread that satisfies our deepest longing. The question, though, someone might be asking, well, why does it matter? You're being really exclusive with this Jesus guy. Why in the world are you saying that it's Jesus or everything else is death? Jesus is life. Everything else is a poor way of doing things. Come on, man. You know, why are you taking it that seriously? Why does it matter? You know, I... Can't, can't you, in, in, in a lot of times, like Vince, you can live a good life, you can be moral, you can have good relationships with friends, but you don't have to take Jesus that seriously. And the thing is, the thing is, is maybe you're right. You can be moral without Jesus. If that was the point of Christianity and the world, if you could have a life by being moral then why do we even need Jesus? Jesus would be a great teacher, different things like that, but then Jesus says, "Mm, no, I need to die for you. My flesh needs to be torn apart so that you can have life. So here's the catch. The reason why it's so serious is because Jesus takes it seriously, serious enough to die. And serious enough that he thinks that broken relationships, this broken world is meant for mending why does it matter? Because Jesus didn't let it just let them go on with, Rabbi, give us this food. Feed us. He's like, mm, I'm a lot more than your rabbi. I'm the food from heaven. I'm better than Moses. I'm better than the prophet. I'm God in the flesh. So he challenges us, pushes in. He's not just a moral teacher. Not just a moral teacher. He's saying he's the bread of life. Without him, there is no life. There's a stark binary and a contrast. Yes, it's hard to get. But I wouldn't be up here and people wouldn't be in this room if we didn't believe that. If we believed that it was just to make you moral, it's okay. We could sing a few songs. Then we can go get a grilled cheese sandwich afterward and, and chill out. But here we have something bigger. It changes everything. So there's three things we need to learn here. And of course it's three things because I'm a Presbyterian. So Jesus is the food you really need. You got to watch what you're consuming. And lastly, lastly, you need to feast on scandalizing grace. Jesus is the food you really need. So you watch what you're consuming and feast on scandalizing grace. So we see that Jesus says he's the bread for life, the bread that gives life. And bread is important because it was a staple food for the known world. So when the kid goes and has his lunch out on the field, he has, you know, a bread and fish. 
kind of a staple food, normal thing. But it was also uh, something for every feast that they could fill their gut. So back in Exodus 16, we see them saying, we had our, our, our fill of the meat pots. We sat by meat pots and we had our fill of the bread. We were full of it. Bread uh, in, the, in the Eastern world often is synonymous with life. Is synonymous with life. And here's the thing. Uh, through it, bread, you could be sustained. And, and it's really simple to make bread. You know that? Do you know how simple it is to make bread? Do you know how many ingredients made this bread right here? Three. Flour, water, and salt. Flour, water, salt. And if you want to say air, and then you make it out of sourdough, you and your daughter. You know, but that's, it's simple. But if you have flour and water separately, you got nothing. But you put flour and water together, you can make bread, and it sustains life. That's why they talk about the uh, fertile crescent being like this bread basket. It was the, kind of the, where, where uh, life could happen. Civilization flourished. And so that's why bread is so important. And so they say to him, uh, so Jesus tells them, though, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, so signs pointing to his true reality, pointing to who he really is. But you, feel, you follow me because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so he goes a little further. Um, he's like, you like this food, but you need a food that you don't even know you need. You need real food. So do not labor for the food that perishes, he says, but for the food that endures to, a, to eternal life. So how is Jesus this true food, and how is Jesus also this gift or given from God? Jesus mentions signs. And remember, uh, Jesus here, he's been talking about, uh, we've been talking about him turning water into wine, and it means something. Healing blind people, it means something. Raising people from the dead, it means something. And feeding a multitude, and they're all signs pointing to Jesus' identity. And the people are following Jesus's, Jesus not because they believe in him, because they were following their stomachs. They were satisfied in a physical way, but it wasn't the satiation of hunger that they needed most. And so Jesus says, don't follow the bread, don't, don't go after food that perishes. That food perishes. You need something deeper. He also says, the fathers ate the manna in the desert and they still died. Still died. You need bread for eternal life. And then he points to himself. Jesus says that he is that bread. And he says that he's greater than Moses. That's why the Jews were grumbling like, you mean you're greater than Moses? Come on, Moses gave us the bread. And then Jesus says, no, the Lord gave the bread. And guess what? He's my father. And they're like, what? And you're, what is wrong with you? And so he says that he's greater than Moses. And then he also says that he's greater than the manna in the desert. It was miraculous. It just showed up in the morning. Can you imagine they just, you can go out and get breakfast in the morning. You know, pow, right there. God's providing. So God provides in this desert. And Jesus, though, is the provision for their salvation. He's talking about true spiritual food, not simply physical food, although that's what they're looking for. He's talking about true, true food, and it's found in him, and particularly his broken body, his poured out blood on the cross. It is what they truly, most desperately needed. Mother Teresa says, there is more hunger for love and appreciation than for bread. Bread is a symbol of a deeper longing, a deeper longing. But Jesus is also the gift from God. Notice that they're dependent on God to give them the food. 
Jesus gives it to them. You know, they're hungry. They come after him during breakfast time, seeing if he can whip up some eggs or something. But it wasn't just the physical sustenance that they needed. They needed rescue. He is help from God. He is life and for life. And so what do you mean for life? What is it? What is this life? And it doesn't mean biological life. You know, if you just need biological life, you know, bread then is pretty good. Jesus is saying, you need to eat my flesh. What? That's messed up, man. You know, and so when Jesus, when he's tempted by Satan out in the desert, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. Meaning that life, real life, comes from being in right relationship with God. And that relationship is initiated by God. That is why he says that while people are grumbling, they're like, come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? Just give us the bread. And Jesus says, I know why you don't get it. No one can come to me, no one can believe in me unless the Father has drawn him. God must do the initiating work in our hearts for us to see him as beautiful, to know that we're deeply hungry and what we most desperately need is him, not just another meal. And so Jesus is this gift from God. He is life itself. And it has to come to us. And so Christianity is not you having the right set of dogmatic beliefs, having the best theology and getting it in order that you can somehow mentally ascend to heaven. But rather, it is that Jesus Christ has opened up heaven and earth to come to you and he is the bread that you most desperately need. And you are to feed on him. He's life. So what is this life like? It is life where you have all your relationships put together, and especially the relationship between you and God. But also think about this way. Have you ever been at odds with someone you feel, you know, you're deeply in love with? You've been at odds, maybe with your spouse? You know, whenever you're at odds with your spouse and you're laying in the same bed with them, do you know it feels like although they are like seriously six inches from you and you could feel the heat rating off their, off their body, you feel like you're a million miles away, don't you? It's because you love them deeply. And all you want, all you ever want is to have that connection again, that relationship to be mended and put back together. And so you feel this deep anxiety in your heart. You're squirming there. Or if you're a kid and you're, you know your parent is disappointed in you and you did something to upset your parents, you just feel like you have to fix it. You need that life put back together. You know, and you want to get on their good side. You want to have it put together. And Jesus says, I'm the one who puts it together. I'm the bread that gives that true life. I'm the bread that mends the relationship between, between God and in people. I do it. The other thing that he says is that he's the bread of life, but it gives life to the world. If you're a Jewish person, you're like, the Messiah is for us. He's going to come, validate us, vindicate us, and we're going to be awesome. And then he says something strange. Jesus says, "Mm, guess what, guys? I'm for the life of the world. And so he brings in this, this idea of like, Jesus is the life. It means that there's true unity. In a text that it says all people, rich, poor, young, old, black, white, all coming together, eating from the same loaf. Why? 
because that's where we get life. It's for all people. It's equal there. And so, here's the, here's the deal. What do you share with the rest of the world? It, you know, G, Jesus, though, the deal that we need to understand is like, with the rest of the world, we need to understand that Jesus is not a moralist. He's not just a good teacher, but he is life. And that he's good news. And that he's come to bring good news. Here's the deal. Why tell anyone if Jesus is just a good moral teacher? Who cares? You know, and here's the deal. You know how you could tell that maybe you're getting it just, just a little off, that you've fallen into default mode? It's as soon as you start being a curmudgeon. You start looking on Twitter, and you see someone say something, and be like, I better correct them. Or you see someone on, on Facebook, they write something, and you're like, ooh, how dare they. Or you overhear a conversation at the cafe, and they say something about God and different things like that, and suddenly you become like the greatest moral teacher in the world. And you are so high up on your self-righteousness, you got to turn around and be like, well, let me tell you something. I'm a first-year seminary student, and I could fix all your problems right now. You know, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. That's how you know that you're drawing life from some other source of bread here. That's what's going on. You see, if life is a gift and it's graciously given by God, and you didn't lift a finger to get that bread, and it is graciously given to you, and all you have to do is believe, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? It's a level playing field. You're free to be kind and loving to people. You don't have to correct them. You don't have to be a scold. You don't have to be mean and angry. So, one, Jesus is the food that you really need. Next, you need to watch what you're consuming because that's what you're going to become. You know, we're all looking for and feeding on something to give us life. And it's uh, this way of doing things. It's kind of the default mode of all of our hearts. And the default mode says you need to be self-reliant, you need to find your own food, you need to be self-sufficient, you need to be autonomous. And those who had their fill, they see Jesus, they're like, ooh, he gave it to us, now I need to get more. So they keep going to him. And he says, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. You see these Jews, they are grumbling when he says that I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they are much like those people in the desert. See, they had a taste in their mind. So you know how you like you acquire a taste? You acquire a taste like over time, right? And you then get set and geared toward that. And what happens is you start to dislike the taste of other things. So when Jesus comes and he tells, him, tells you what's going on, it's suddenly offensive. You're like, what in the world is that? It's like the first time I had a shrimp as a little kid. I was like, oh my gosh, you're poisoning me. You know, because I was, I was so used to like Cheetos or something like that. We're like, that's tasty. I was a messed up kid. Um, and so that was, that's the deal. You, you kind of, you, you get in your normal lane. And so they had a taste in their minds. They were programmed to think that way. And their taste leads them away from God. And that's the way anyone who isn't a Christian and even a Christian they, they live, they have a hunger for life, they have a hunger for God, but they go and find it in a million different other places. 
You go and find your hunger. You satisfy your hunger in a million other places. We can't taste them. That's the default mode. You know, even if you're a Christian, you fall into these old patterns, old ways of doing things. And it's like, you, you know, with, with Christianity, you've acquired a new taste. And do you know what you need to do? You need to cultivate that taste. Um, I'm not advocating wine drinking here, but if you, uh, first time I tried wine at 22 or something like that, uh, you know, I, I taste it, I'm like, what in the world are they talking about? Do you taste the earthiness? I guess, if you mean dirt. I mean, that, what in the world? You know? And so what happens is you kind of need to start to cultivate a taste for that until you start to realize how good it is in Christianity, a lot of our Christian walk is cultivating a taste for Jesus, cultivating a taste for doing things differently. And the only way that you start that taste is by God initiating in your heart and transforming you. So that's the way it goes. And so with Christianity, what you need to do is you need to continue to grow this appetite. Do you want to know how you do that? Come, to, come Sunday and sing songs loudly. Read the Bible during the week. Pray. It's kind of ordinary things. Talk to people around you that are Christians. And sometimes they're obnoxiously Christian and all they do is talk about Jesus. It's, it's kind of infectious. You might like it. In Psalm 127, it, the psalmist says, Why eat the bread of anxious toil? You know, and so our taste, those, it, it you know, we're, we're prone to eating this bread of anxious toil. It is laboring in vain. It's this frivolous making of bread to satisfy our hunger. Many of us understand that this bread doesn't live up to the hype. And many of us are feeding on bread regularly. Some of us, late at night, when no one's around and we're alone with our own thoughts, we start eating the bread of self-loathing. You know what that's like? You start telling yourself that you're not good enough. Why did I say that to so-and-so? Why didn't I do this better? Why isn't everything coming together? I know why. It's because I suck. I'm a terrible person. So you start to eat the bread of self-loathing. Maybe you start to eat the bread of control. You start to think, like, if I had control, then things will be okay. So you control the narrative about you. The stories that people are telling, you control what other people think, and you're always afraid to lose control. Maybe you're eating the bread of competency, and this one's one for me. Want to know why? I, I need to be competent. Because when I was a little kid and my parents were fighting, I knew if I stepped out of line, my parents would somehow erupt into a fight, or that's how I thought of it. And so I believed it was up to me to be competent all the time. And do you know what is like my biggest pet peeve? It's when I perceive someone to be incompetent. Oh, no. So I have to fight against that on a regular basis. Maybe it's the bread of appearances. You keep the most well-manicured social media uh, uh, profiles ever. Maybe it's the bread of being the peacekeeper in all your relationships. At the root, it believes that God, though, is holding out on you. 
that you have to make for yourself through your self-reliance, self-autonomy, something you have to provide for your own bread. And this is exactly how Satan tricked the woman into taking and eating the bread of the tree. She was tricked into believing that God wasn't looking out for her, that he was holding out. And in taking the fruit, she disbelieved God. She began to eat the bread of self-sufficiency. Began to eat the bread of self-sufficiency. You see, when you get Jesus as the bread of life, you no longer need to eat the bread of performance, the bread of competency, the bread of self-sufficiency. It's an invitation to feast where you are seated for free. It is by grace, and it came at a great cost. You are seated at the feast of the Lord to feast on Jesus. You are tasting his sacrificial gift, and it changes everything. You begin to love again. And what does this look like? I told you about the, uh, you get new tastes. So what does this look like? I'll get a little confessional here. I told you about competency. I need to be competent. I have to be competent. Why? Because otherwise my world is going to like, you know, planets are going to fly out into the universe or something like that. And I'm never going to get them back is what I think. Right? And so what does this competency look like? Do you know what it is for me? If you come to my office on Tuesday and you tell me something or you ask me a question and I don't know, competency, feasting on competency, would mean that I feign some sort of an answer to make myself look smart or to tell you that I'm not really that incompetent, that I don't really know. What I want to do is keep this facade of competency, right? And do you want to know what feasting on Jesus looks like, acquiring a new taste? Do you know what it is? Is if you ever hear me say, I don't know, and I shut up. At that moment, I am worshiping. You know that? Because I am feasting on the fact that I don't have to know everything. I don't have to know everything. So you get new tastes. It changes everything. You know what you also do? Maybe you ask a friend to show, out, show your, your sinful blind spots. Let them show you what you're feasting on. You know? And then you've got to, you'll start living a different kind of life. Lastly, you need to feast on, sac- on scandalizing grace. Jesus' words did not sit well with people. So much so that at the end of the narrative, a bunch of people take off. The multitude said, he just said to eat his flesh, drink his blood. I don't know about you, but I'm out, homie. And so they all leave. And then lastly, what ends up happening is Jesus looks at his disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? And someone says, where are we to go? You have the words of eternal life. He has the feast that they really needed. You see, to eat his flesh, to drink his blood, people couldn't stomach it. And more than that, we also see this little bit here. Why didn't they believe? Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. That means that God must be the one who initiates. Why didn't everyone just follow in the desert? It's because their default mode was to crave what was in Egypt. They were dead in the heart. Or as one one pastor says, he says, you can get the slave out of Egypt, but only God can can get Egypt out of the slave. 
And that's the way it is for all of us. We need God to work in our hearts. You know, many people receive bread in the desert and they still did not believe. So what's the evidence of God working in your life? It's that when you survey everything in it and you realize that in this life, you're, this life, and what you're really looking for, it can only come from Him. It means that life can only come from Him. And I understand that this is really complicated and different, and it's difficult. It makes little sense of the world, especially where autonomy of the individual takes precedence. You're like, you mean God has to work in me before I actually come and believe in Him? And in our world, that is really difficult thinking. It is really difficult thinking. It's scandalizing. And so he says, of course it's scandalizing. It's because God hasn't worked in your heart. Maybe some of us, we need to just pray and ask God, work in my heart. Show me what I need. So Jesus then invites us, though, to take and eat of him. He invites us to feast on his flesh and blood. And what that means, you know, it's, it's so scandalizing. He says, it means that you are to fast from the food that leaves you anxious and feast on true satisfying food. It means to fast from the desperate need to be like and feast on God's love for you. It means to fast from self-loathing and condemnation and feast on God's approval for you in Jesus Christ. Fast from the critical self-righteousness and feast on the justification you have in Christ. Fast from needing to be, have the perfect kids and feast on God giving the perfect son so you can be his imperfect kid. Fast from having it all together and feast on the one who was torn apart so you can be made whole. Jesus invites you and is scandalous to lay down all your self-autonomy, all your self-reliance, and say that I'm needy. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. To come to Jesus, all you need to do is say that I'm hungry and thirsty in a deep way. And he invites you to come out of that hunger and into his fullness and to feast on him and feast on the one who was ripped apart on the cross so that you may have forgiveness of sins, so that you may have life with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you have to admit you're hungry and you're thirsty. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, you are good. You are very good to us. And you give us gifts and you give us yourself, and you restore us. Lord, I pray now as we come to your table that we may confess our hunger and our thirst, and I pray that we would know that you are what we most desperately need. I pray that you would give us life in your Son, and that life, the bread of life, comes from Jesus' flesh being torn apart, and his blood being shed. Lord, be with us now as we partake of this meal and we confess that you are the bread of life and that we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts.
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Uh, as is our custom here at Grace and Peace, we will come from the sides and then down these two aisles. And if you're in the center, you're going to go out that way. Come here, you're going to get bread. And you can take that bread as soon as you receive it. And then there is wine, which are on the inner rings, and juice, which is on the outer rings. And you could take and drink then. Uh, there, there typically is people praying at the ends. I think Danielle and then if uh, Sarah, will, if you can help us out, that'd be, that'd be great if you could pray. But uh, um, there is also gluten-free bread, which will be on the table. So come and take as, uh, as, as you see fit. And so we come forward. But this is a, a table for those who confess that they're hungry and that they need saving. Not for the autonomous, the self-reliant, if you don't confess that you need Jesus. If you're not sure, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to, to wrestle. It's okay to have objections. Go ahead and observe, but don't partake. We don't want you to do anything inauthentic to where you are in your walk. Because this is a table where, where God invites those of faith to come. Those who need Him more than they need bread, more than they need water, more than they need air. And if that's your confession, you are invited. So let us uh, proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, and after he'd given thanks, he took bread, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take of it, all of you, and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. You are invited to feast on him. To feast on him. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I pray that you would bless this meal and that we would come to you in faith and that you would transform our hearts. I pray that you would do amazing things and that you would nourish our faith and help us to know that you are life offered to us. In Jesus' name, amen.